What is going on, guys? Adam Cromer here with another episode of the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. We are going to be going over some of my takeaways from Michigan State, um, the NCAA tournament, kind of not too much because uh, there's a deep dive coming on the season. But I did want to give some opinions on what exactly I saw from that game. If you want me to actually do a specific breakdown, go play-by-play, kind of that stuff, uh, hit me up, email me at dukebasketballcorner at gmail.com, let me know. because so I did that for the second half of Florida State uh, earlier this season, uh, not the ACC tournament, but the conference game. And uh, I think that can be fun. It does take a lot of work, so I'm going to have to get some demand for that if you really want. But I do have some takeaways from that, some kind of smaller season takeaways, player takeaways, uh, just opinions. And uh, before we start, two quick things. The reason you are still hearing music and the reason it may sound different than the intro you're used to hearing is because I wanted to just give... um, love some a shout out to uh small professor he is a producer he made a fantastic album with uh, the late great sean price that uh, was released a couple months ago he's the producer for career crooks that's uh, another hip-hop group really great and earlier before the season started i basically just dm'd him on twitter direct mess sent him a direct message asking how much he would charge i was listening to one of his beat tapes uh, Beats and Rhymes Johns, and I have used the same intro the entire time. That intro, let me see, what is the name of that? That is uh, Bone Marrow. <laughs> yeah, I'm Bone Marrow. So uh, today, I just thought I'm going to play the whole thing all the way through, ongoing. I usually don't play music all the way through, but for this once, I think he absolutely deserves it. He just basically let me have the music for free to use and didn't ask for anything. He just said, go for it. And I uh, can't thank him enough. So that would be smallprofessor.bandcamp.com. Uh, you can find his instrumental stuff, Career Crooks. Uh, he's at Coal Mine Record. I mean, he's everywhere. So uh, please support him. It is in the description for the podcast. He is great. The other thing, if you are interested in being a possible co-host next year, not a guest, a co-host, let me know. Uh, same email, dukebasketballcorner at gmail.com. With life as just we know it or I know it, it gets, I've been doing this for years and I've reached the point where it's tougher and tougher to find the motivation, especially since I'm not around people as much who I can have a conversation with about Duke. So I basically end up just talking to myself when I have guests on. It takes a long time to do the editing just to get kind of, I try to get all the sounds away from the background. So I actually go through every line and do that. It's not even to fix what anything, what anybody says. That has nothing to do with it. I know I'm perfect. I never make any mistakes. And I am very serious about that. No, I'm not. Um, it's, it's just because on Skype, sometimes there's stuff in the background. So, I mean, that takes a while. And I've been asking people to leave a review, subscribe, iTunes. I mean, that's the way to get the message out. Um, if people really, if it's in demand, I'll keep it going because I do enjoy it. But it's about kind of is the juice worth the squeeze at this point? The other thing is 
I, again, I want to have a conversation. I don't just want to keep talking to myself, and I want someone consistent. So if you can hold a conversation about Duke, email me. Tell me a little bit, bit about yourself. Tell me if you've listened to the pod. Actually, listen to the pod before you do. Make sure, I don't want anyone who hasn't because this is very different than other Duke pods. There's more depth um, that goes on, um, but at the same time, I just basically... Just a fun conversation. That's that's all I'm looking for. I'm not, I'm not looking for anyone to specifically nerd out with me as much as I sometimes do. But just to have someone who kind of, I get feedback. Because otherwise, it's just kind of random. Alright, so that was a long thing. So again, if you're interested, uh, that would be DukeBasketballCorner at gmail.com. If you forgot my name, Adam, Adam Comero. Been doing this for years. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you if nothing else. So here we go. All right, Duke lost to Michigan State, and the reactions have been interesting. I've kind of let all the hot takes fly on by, and now that they're all gone, and a couple days passed, and everyone's already moved on to uh, next season, which I, I think is interesting, the way that happens. I mean, you, I can think about next season stuff like that, but to spend six months, at least, just really diving into this team, and then to immediately forget about them just seems odd to me. I, I, I like to find out what happened. I like to look back and think about the season. I mean, I still watch old Duke games, win or lose. Like, I, I, I think one of the most interesting things about uh, Duke Blue Planet is how they only show uh, plays from games they win. It's almost teaching you, like, if they lose, just forget about it. It never happened. And I think... Yeah, I, I have all the respect for them. I think that's the wrong way to go about it because there's just as much to uh, learn and enjoy from, not enjoy as much, but uh, kind of take away from losses. I mean, that's, that helps you really understand uh, what's going on besides when it's going well. So I, I think that's important. And I've, I take away just as much from losses as I do from victories. So saying that, it's very interesting how last season, I was kind of pissed after Duke lost to Kansas because that team, there was so much potential right there. And there was just some, I felt there were some uh, strategic errors that <laughs> I pointed out. Uh, I did the uh, end of the season pod with uh, Ray Holloman. And uh, yeah, I was kind of, I wouldn't say angry because I mean, it's just, it's just opinions and it's just basketball. But at the same time, I mean, that, that team was really headed towards great things. Although, if they had played Villanova, I'll be honest, I don't think they would have had a shot. But, I mean, at least it would have been they got to the Final Four. And it's, it's interesting because Coach K, with all his Final Fours, he's actually only made it twice in the last 15 years and only should be in quotes right there. Because, I mean, still, making it is a hell of an achievement in itself. But both times, he obviously won it. So I think that allows him all the leeway. Otherwise, we would be talking, I feel like we'd be talking more about some of the strategic stuff that goes on. And I mean, it's very worth it. I mean, last year, there's a lot. Uh, I mean, that's the thing about college basketball. Once a game ends, coach really doesn't ever talk about it. It's not just Coach K. I'm not putting him on the spot. It's everyone. Like, they don't talk about like what happened, which is just odd to me. Because I had a lot of questions about Kansas last season. And I got none of them answered. So, who knows? But, 
I mean, this was... So I didn't feel quite the same way after this game. And, I, and it seems like others do. And others really had, like, I, I've got, I got questions like, how am I supposed to get over this loss? This is the, this is the best Duke team of my life. And I, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's perspective. But from analyzing them the whole season, going kind of deep diving throughout the whole season, doing pods, uh, tweeting every game, I didn't see it like that. Not at all. I mean, even when I did the preview of the Michigan State game, I mean, I said I didn't like the matchup. Everything was trending negatively. They had just gotten, I, I don't know if lucky is the right word, but fortunate definitely is, if not lucky, because they had been outplayed by two straight teams and kind of survived and advanced. And you can't keep getting that lucky. You can't keep getting that fortunate. Maybe Virginia once in a while um, got some calls. Maybe they had some uh, college basketball luck of the gods on their side. But so did Duke. And you can't count on that. And Duke had been really, really playing with fire with the free throws down the stretch. I mean, seven straight games decided by one or two points since Gonzaga. They won them all. And all of them, they missed a late free throw. That should have kind of bit them in the butt, and they didn't. And that right there, that's lucky. Fortunate is winning a game where, I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, so I, I was not surprised. I don't think this was the best Duke team. I think they had two of the most talented players they've ever had playing at once in terms of R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. But this was not a great team. When you think about it that way, I mean, the talent was enough to basically keep them close no matter what. But no team was going to be able to blow them out. And if they had just been able to gain momentum a little more versus Michigan State, who knows? And, hey, they had... R.J. Barrett had a free throw. If he would made the first and made the second, it could have gone to over overtime, and who knows? But there's a lot of ifs you could ask and I don't think you'll get many answers from them so when we think about let's just give a little context here when we think about the history of tough losses I mean I'll say since kind of I'll start out with uh with my nemesis Scotty Thurman <laughs> for Arkansas uh, there, there's 94 Arkansas final with Scotty Thurman's rainbow Kentucky 98, it was the, uh, oh, that was brutal. Um, the, I think they were like 17 with halfway through the second half. UConn could have gone either way. Still uh, 99, that's the best Duke team I've ever seen. Uh, Florida in 2000, they were up late there. And uh, yeah, they had, they had chances. Uh, Indiana 2002, kind of like Kentucky 98, brutal loss. Um, UConn 2004, I think they were up five with like two minutes left. That was ridiculous. Uh, that was the Final Four. Uh, LSU 2006, that was about, I think that was a tie game. I mean, all these were either Duke was leading, they were tied, or down like one, maybe two, um, with, with under two minutes left. All of these. Like, they, if they were down more, they were not down more than two in any of them. I guarantee that with under two minutes. Um, so after 2006 LSU, which ended uh, Reddick's career, 2007 VCU, 2014 Mercer, 2018 Kansas, and 2019 Michigan State. So, 
there's, there's been a lot of kind of down-to-the-wire losses. I mean, there are other losses that have pretty much been, let's see here, uh, 97 Providence, 2003 Kansas, 2005 Michigan State, 2008 West Virginia, 2009 Nova, 2011 Arizona, 2012 Lehigh, 2013 Louisville, then Oregon and South Carolina in 2016 and 2017. And there's actually, it's kind of interesting because this is the first loss which doesn't follow certain trends. Um, in those games, they typically went from the first half to the second half scoring a lot more and increasing the lead by a lot. So Duke was actually up. Where do I have the stat? Um, when, I, when I say the games, that is the last 21 years. I'm talking about 19 of the games because I would say 2003 LSU and 2000, 2006 LSU and 2003 Kansas doesn't quite fit the same mold right there. Um, here we are. Yeah, two, the 2003 Kansas, 2006 LSU led 12 of, of the 19 losses at halftime. It was Arkansas, Florida, Nova, Louisville, and Oregon. And only trailed in five, tied in two losses at halftime. That was Eastern Michigan and Michigan State. It, I mean, so, some of these are just wild because I'm, I'm looking through. And here we go. Let's start out. I mean, just some of the, the most, the ones that really stick out. So Eastern Michigan, they scored 26 in the first half, and they scored 49 in the second. So right I mean, it's tied 26, so that's a plus 23 scored, and then a plus 15 scoring margin. Um, and Providence, the next season, they was uh, Providence was Duke was leading 46-42 at the half. Then Providence won the second half 56-41. So that was plus 14 points scored, plus 15 margin. Um, Indiana, Duke was up 42-29 a half. Indiana, second half, 45-31. So plus 16 points scored, plus 14 score margin. And it kind of goes like this, where most of these games, the teams did not score. They scored under 40, and then way over after that. And it's almost like Duke... That's where the kind of before you would hear the Duke got tired type of arguments. I mean, but sometimes it's just one game, college kids, when momentum starts going, it goes. I mean, the ultimate was, uh, it's crazy because uh, 2011, we saw Arizona have one of the most efficient second halves ever. And then it just got destroyed by 2017 South Carolina. If... Uh, if you don't remember how the first half of that game went, Duke was leading 30 to 23 in 2017, and South Carolina scored 65 in the second half, plus 42. Like that's unreal. So I mean, in terms of the plus points, going down 42, 10, 10, 15, 19, 17. Uh, Villanova, 20, they were, Villanova was up 26-23, then they scored 51, they, they outscored Duke 51-31 in the second half. I mean, this is how it kind of goes. So, the interesting thing about Michigan State is neither. It's their only loss, actually in the entire 21, last 21, 
19 of those 21 don't quite fit, but still enough to say that Michigan State, even number of points scored first half to second half, 34-34, and it was a minus three score margin. It's the only game that Duke's lost in the tournament since 94, including 94, that Duke's outscored their opponent in the second half. So, as many issues as there were, I mean, this is still Duke is, I call them a second half team. And that's what makes it so frustrating because they still could have been that. And I don't think they were tired. I mean, the, the bench was still slim as it always is. I don't think that affected anything. So, it's unfortunate. Um, going over the Michigan State kind of history. Michigan State, well, let, let's find it right here. Michigan State, they came in and there's the whole thing about Coach K was 11-1 and against Tom Izzo. And there's actually, out of those 12 games before, uh, six of them had occurred in the same season. The first two, 98-99, I mean, you think about that, Duke... If you, if you haven't seen that Duke team or highlights or games, like, go back and watch. They annihilated teams. Anni they only played five games the entire season, which were decided by single digits. And most of them were decided by, like, over 20, over th so many over 30. There was only one ACC game decided by uh, single digits. I think that was, like, by eight against Georgia. Okay, here we go. Cincinnati and UConn, the first and the last game decided by single digits, which they lost both of those. And then in between, we have uh, Michigan State, Georgia Tech, Michigan State, and then UConn. So they were two out of the five games. Duke, that's still the best team I've, best Duke team I've ever seen. They were unreal. And uh, the first one they lost to Cincinnati, that was uh, one of the most, that was one of the most incredible game winners I've seen. That was at the Great Alaska shootout. I don't even think that exists anymore. Melvin Levitt, he caught a game winning dunk on it. There's an inbounds pass to Kenyon Martin who caught it pretty much where like Christian Leitner caught the Kentucky pass. Then Kenyon Martin, he was guarded by Ellen Brandt, the free throw line. He kind of touched it to uh, Melvin Levitt who beat Trajan Langdon down the court. And even after that, William Avery still hit a shot which would have sent the game into overtime but it came just after the buzzer. I mean, that's what it took to beat Duke that season. Unreal. Unreal team. That 99, I can't believe it. And then um, 2003, uh, Duke, that's the only time they played at Michigan State. Duke destroyed them, 72-50. 2004 and 2005, um, that was the same season where uh, Michigan State actually got revenge on Duke because Duke beat them in uh, November. And Michigan State came back in the Sweet 16. That game was really never, never that close. So, yeah, I mean, that's one of those ones where... Uh, JJ not, not, didn't do too well. Um, let's see, 2010, um, that was, uh, I don't know if that was a Champions Classic or ACC Big Ten, but that was when Kyrie went off at Duke. 11, um, Michigan State was unranked, Champions Classic, Andre Dawkins went off right there. That was a really cool game for him, 6 for 10 from deep. In 2011, I think that's when uh, Coach K set the record for most wins. Um... March 29th, 2013, Duke 71, number 9, Michigan State 61. That was in the Sweet 16. So that was uh, before they lost to Louisville. 
2014 and 2015, those two games, November 18th and April 4th, same season, that was when Duke won the championship. And uh, we have uh, November 16th, Champions Classic. Michigan State was basically in a total rebuild that year. They came into the game four and three. So, I mean, they lost that again and left the game four and four. So, I don't even know how they made the NCAA tournament. They finished up like 20 and 15. Um, November 14th, 2017, that was when uh, Marvin Bagley, I think he got poked or scratched or poked in the eye, and he had to leave about 10 minutes in. Grayson might have had the best game of his career, uh, 37 points, 7 for 11 from deep. That was when I thought we were going to actually see Grayson play off ball like I've been hoping for, for the last three years um, of his career. Didn't happen. Um, and then... March 31st, 2019, we had what just happened. So actually, um, Coach K is, what, what is that? 8-0 uh, versus uh, Izzo in terms of regular season, 3-2 in uh, the postseason. The regular season, I mean, that's typically the last week of uh, either mid, it's anywhere from mid-November to like the first week in uh, December. All right, so on to the game. When you think about really, I think the first thing, just to get it out of the way, the end, Coach K comes from that military background. He has loyalty, and he's going to stick with that loyalty. I mean, whether it's Trajan Langdon versus Ricky Moore, again, with UConn, if you don't remember Ricky Moore, he was one of the best perimeter defenders in the country. And he gave it to uh, Trajan after the game. He said, I, I mean, Trajan Landon was the bridge from Duke. When they were struggling, brought him back to re uh, relevance. Huge. I mean, he's my second favorite uh, player ever at Duke. Um, then J.J. Redick against Garrett Temple, LSU. I'm talking about down the stretch, kind of just trusting them to make a play. Um, and Redick is just as great as he was. I don't know if he's the, he's the type. You can do that, especially with Garrett Temple. Such a long defender, a great defender. Um, played in the NBA for a while. I think still does. Um, then Steve Wo Steve Wojo, I mean, Coach K, he kind of Turner for Kentucky. Wojo couldn't guard him, and that's had a, had a lot to do with Kentucky coming back. And then Grayson just all the time down the stretch. Coach K, he just trusts these guys, and he'll ride with them through thick and thin. Uh, I mean, even to the point of, like, Thornton over Cook, or Matt Jones over Frank Jackson, where it's just like, I don't know, I mean, Kay's been through it, he's been through the wars, he knows what he's doing, but at the same time, sometimes it might be smarter to, to give it to your playmakers, give it to your best players, and that's what can be, uh, for, or give it to your best, and for Marvin Bagley not to really get the ball nearly enough last season against Kansas, especially down the stretch. For Zion not to get um, the ball for the last possession or the possession before. And to put and to place him, I'll talk about it more, to place him on the court where it's almost like the other team knows he's not going to be able to make a play. It's set up for RJ. It's, it's tough to kind of digest right there. That is uh, kind of what, what sums it up with the plan B. It was plan A forever. And at the beginning of the season, I said the biggest thing, there's two things. Number one, I want K to be fluid with his, uh, 
with adapting to fit the skill sets of these players because you adapt to fit the skill sets of these players who might be the most versatile guys he's ever had on a team and that will help the team it's not just doing that for like to get, help them in the NBA obviously it will but I mean it, it, the team will ride based on them to do whatever it takes to put them in the best positions and he did that sometimes initially in games but there wasn't really a ton of adaptation once the game started so I didn't see as much fluidity as I hoped for I mean there were times like there was a Gonzaga kind of that's when he introduced giving the ball to Zion in the post there was the second game against Syracuse when Zion wasn't there where he had Trey flash into the high post more but other than that I mean it was it was there's not much going on in offense at all and that makes me wonder how the biggest issue with uh, young teams is defense and communication and man-to-man defense is why Kay's had to go to zone sometimes in the past uh, recent years he trusted them to do that so why weren't they able to be trusted to run sets why was it just give the ball somebody and basically clear out that's why at the beginning of the year I said this team could possibly remind me of the 2015-16 team and I don't want that because that team it was total clear outs like that and that was a much better shooting team but at the same time they, they they could have used a little more structure but at the end of that year you looked at the stats or even during the year and said like I mean they're dominating on offense but at the end of the game if you need a bucket it's tough to it's tough to do that i mean it that's why it reminds me this year and that year of a uh, paul george interview at the 2016 olympics i think it was against uh serbia and paul george is frustrated saying like we're not doing anything on offense all we're doing is like clearing out one side iso the other team knows what, what, what we're doing we're not hard to guard at all and that's what Kay was doing then and that's what he did that year at Duke and that's what uh, he did now and it's so tough to earn to say you shouldn't get just let your best players go make plays but especially when it was pretty clear at a certain point it wasn't going to be the big three at least offensively with the cam struggling to really be able to just get his own whenever he wants and with RJ Basically, you need to clear out the right side so he can get to his left every time. I mean, a credit to Kay for being able to structure the offense so RJ could do that. But when you stick Zion on the left side, it makes it pretty obvious. So, uh, I mean, when I, when I was doing my, uh, even when I was doing my ACC preview, I said if, if Trey doesn't start initiating the offense more in half-court sets, this season will basically come down to the amount of cracks Duke's, Duke gets every game before the defense is set whether that comes in transition or offensive rebounds. And that's what happened, along with free throws. So, more specifically, all right, so Duke was a perfect 29-0 when it held opponents to 76 points or fewer this season. And they were 3-5 and when opponents scored more than 76. So, there's an outlier right there. Um, so they should have beaten Michigan State, according to uh, these uh, super smart stats. Duke lost by one after winning the last seven games, side by one or two since Gonzaga. And again, there's free throw issues. 
Um, RJ, four games. Uh, Florida State, one. Wake Forest, two. UNC, three. Though there's like the like UNC part three, Wake Forest part two, and Michigan State. Zion was Cuse one, UVA one, and UCF. And Trey was Virginia Tech. So they all had their turns of missing free throws down the stretch. And it's just, it's kind of what I, what I said about Michigan State going into last season's tournament, where it's just such a random statistic and it's you can't repeat just being able to win close games all the time you can say yeah Duke had playmakers so they have a better chance but when you go back and watch those seven games they could have lost every single one very very easily so that's why I say fortunate so um going, going, coming into Michigan State I said uh, the x-factor rather than rather than a player it's discipline and poise because Michigan State they were absolutely going to be disciplined and poised. They were, you better box them out. You better get back in transition because they will, they are so accustomed to their system and they will take advantage of any kind of opportunity because Michigan State, they don't, they didn't turn, they don't turn you over. They will run on everything, makes, misses. They will run everything led by their all everything point guard. I will talk about how Duke, even though I said they don't turn you over, Duke helped them out very much. Uh, Duke was basically playing like a version of themselves, which is a team relying on transition and second chance opportunities. And the difference was Winston and, and pick and roll. So, I, I mean, Duke, they, they was it was their second lowest forced turnover percentage of the season and their second highest turnover percentage of the season. I'm talking about giveaways. To a team, as I was saying, prior to Duke had a forced turnover percentage ranked 344 out of 353. Heading into NC State, Duke's forced turnover percentage was 21.7, way above the national average of uh, 18.5. In their last 14 games, they fell below the national average of 18.5% 12 times out of 14. In the 25.4% in the Syracuse quarterfinal of the ACC tournament, it was basically largely based on uh, Duke, basically Zion, forcing nine turnovers in the first 11 and a half minutes of the game. So even that, they, they stopped being able to turn them over. It was just like initially when Zion came back and the world kind of shook. But Louisville was it. I mean, Louisville, that game was going as bad as possible until like the last eight, eight and a half minutes. So they weren't turning Louisville over then. And that was it. That Louisville game was kind of the last moment. I mean, Miami, they, they were able to overwhelm, but that's it. Every other team, they couldn't turn them over. So when I, there were two things at the beginning of the year, I said, dude, I want Kay to be fluid in his uh, being able to adapt uh, and scheme based on the versatility and make it fluid. The other thing was just as many chances to get out and transition as possible, as many chances to get offensive rebounds, to get to the free throw line. And this game, I mean, it's really shocking how they were able to keep it close when it was Duke was not able to run at all, pretty much. At all. So, in, in terms of Duke actually, they played the same amount of half-court possessions. They each had 41. And Duke scored six more times 
they, they scored 29 out of their 41 half-court possessions. Michigan State scored 23. Doesn't happen often when Duke is more efficient in the half-court than their opponent. Jesus. They ran 10 more times than Duke. They ran 24 times in transition compared to Duke's 14. I mean, Duke was basically beaten by what they hoped to be themselves. So it's kind of fascinating how, how that happened. Duke was turned into a half-court team, which needed to be efficient, where Michigan State was running. And a lot of that was off of really silly Duke turnovers. I mean, especially, like, the, the entry passes. It was just insane. I mean, that's why... It was what it really helped, and I say it's always important when you have like a leader on the team, a vocal leader or a lead by example, whoever it is, it's best when it's a ball handler who's who's really involved and experienced. Some somebody like Quinn Cook or Grace Allen or anyone, just because they can they can always be able to set the tone with the ball in their hands. And without that it was, it was tough for Duke. I mean, no matter how great they looked in the ACC tournament, they were still turning it over a bunch. You hadn't seen that most of the season. In the NCAA tournament, the, you, you saw they were turning it over much more than usual. It was, it was really interesting, and I think some of that was likely nerves. I mean, all of a sudden, now your season, for, we knew three of them, their careers were, at Duke were going to be over if they had lost any of these games. See, the offensive turnovers, I mean, 25% offensive turnover percentage. The defense, they didn't force turnovers at all. And then just didn't get back in transition. I mean, the, the amount of times they just didn't get back was absurd. So that, that was really t tough because, I mean, that is just basic. I mean, even going back to, like, that's why Goldwire started getting more minutes because Duke just wasn't getting back in transition. And they started out really poorly this season. They improved, and then it kind of got poor again. And again, young teams, it happens. But, I mean, Michigan State going into that game, that's why I said you knew what they were going to do. They were going to run. Cassius Winston is going to take advantage of whatever possible, po po you possibly give him. I mean, Duke really gave him a lot of opportunities right there. A lot of opportunities on just by not getting back. I mean, even when Duke would score, they would be running. So Duke was either giving up threes or offensive rebounds against a lot of their opponents late in the season, like five of seven halves at, at a point after, I think, the Virginia Tech first half, where the opponent had shot over 40% from three, and that was an extreme uh, advantage for Duke. Their three-point defense was fantastic, and and uh, they were giving up offensive rebounds, especially like, to Virginia Deck. So, I think, I mean, the biggest thing to look back on with Michigan State, just everyone's, like, I don't know. It's, it's really tough to say because why they weren't able to force turnovers anymore, at least even close to the level they had at the beginning of the year. Because when Zion was out, I think it was really easy to, to just hope that, hey, when he gets back, everything will be better. It wasn't. So why wasn't it? And maybe in the NCAA tournaments, because when they, when they really extended out their pressure, it left passing lanes, and that's when teams started hitting threes. So they didn't want to take as many risks or double as much or kind of uh, jump in the passing lanes as much because 
teams are starting to hit. Their three-point defense had been well enough where they would be able to uh, kind of make up for make up ground to really still defend the shot, contest the shot. But when teams started really hitting and uh, or not or getting offensive rebounds, all of a sudden Duke players couldn't leak out as much. So the so the ability to just run off of everything. That was hurt too. Let's see how the black so Duke's entire strength was hurt when Zion was out and they had to stay back. They couldn't leak out to make sure they defended, uh, uh, contested the open shots and really boxed out. But then when Zion came back, it's still, that was the same thing. Besides that first couple minutes versus Syracuse, it was the same old, same old. And you saw that with Duke this season more often than you'd like in terms of uh, poise. And, or not even, I don't know if poise is the right word, just kind of, I don't know, I guess discipline. I guess discipline is the right word because if you're not boxing out, I mean, that's what I, that's what I saw the game before when LSU played, when Michigan State played LSU, because LSU was the same type of talented team they were kind of just freelance on everything. And they didn't box out, they didn't guard threes in Michigan State. They stomped them. Let's see what, what else what else we got here. Um, from 14-21 left in the second half to 120, Michigan State ran pick and roll for Cassius Winston on 12 possessions. I mean, you, you, you find what works and you just keep doing it. And Winston scored or assisted on 11 of 16 first half buckets, 8 of 13 second half until the Kenny Goins shot. And that's the thing. RJ Barrett, when he's going great, he's going great. But if you have Zion getting momentum, just keep on going to him. I just don't understand how much trust could possibly be there to go away from what works. I mean, Zion was working. And to structure the offense to go away from that, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, so I, I, I do think Javin and Bolden, they did a great job icing on PNR most of the game. Because Michigan State, they ran a lot of screening action, not as efficient as Gonzaga earlier this season, but there's so many high screens, and they've really structured the offense well, and everything is built around Cassius Winston. And I thought Bolden and Javin really saw their growth and their improvement um, from earlier in the season. They were both struggling um, on high screens early in the season. I mean, Javin with the fouls, Bolden really decision-making and when to kind of go out on the shooters, when not to. So I thought they were, I thought the bigs really had a fantastic game, both of them. I mean, Javin was just absurd. He was absurd. I mean, both of them were really hedging out and icing the uh, ball handler. So, I mean, as I, as I said, Michigan State, the way they beat Duke was not in half court. It was through transition. I mean, they were able to succeed in half court enough, but Duke's, Duke was able to still play really, really good half court defense enough to not let it snowball because they were just getting bombed in transition. You know, having said that, there, there were still open shots for Michigan State. There was a lot of them. Uh, Michigan State just missed them. So, yeah, I mean, there's, again, fortunate.
So um, let, let's get let's get a little more into the Zion um, RJ thing. Let's talk about pick and roll. Is it illegal for K to screen pick and roll with anyone else but who's playing the five? Because more often uh, than not, definitely down the stretch, Kenny Goins was guarding Java. So if he was switched onto RJ on the pick and roll, yeah, it's possibly an advantage, but nowhere near the advantage of RJ on Xavier Tillman. Xavier Tillman's bigger and bulkier. I think RJ can beat him off the dribble a lot easier. Not to mention, if you have Zion setting that screen and switching Tillman onto him, then you have Zion Williamson rolling, slipping, popping, whatever you want to call it, just creating action. How is that a bad thing? Like there, I don't feel like there has to be a set law in basketball. You can only set a high screen at the five. It's odd. I mean, once in a while you did see Zion set a screen for RJ, but at the same time, I mean, it was really quick. It's not the same as when the five, like, it was kind of just to create action instead of really trying to make a play. I mean, Duke was, uh, Duke was actually among the top 10 teams in the country uh, using the roll man in the, in the pick and roll. Or uh, slips, dives, maybe dodges, ducks, dodgeball too. But anyway, um, I mean, how about a short roll? Short roll, if you don't know, I mean, it's basically the same thing as like where uh, in the, against the zone when, when you have a guy in the high post. You have, um, from the pick and roll, you just have somebody roll but stop at the high post and then create a play from there. I mean, Zion, he'd be perfect in that. I don't see why you don't try that. It's the same annoyance as not using Bagley and Carter in the pick and roll. Though with Grayson, I mean, Grayson couldn't create nearly the way RJ does. So for him, high screens were usually just setting up for a rise and fire inefficient three or something. I mean, that was crazy. As far as Zion always starting on the left side in order to clear out the right for RJ to get to his left, I mean, you can see the magic of actually having Zion on the right side occasionally, able to produce a huge play like a spin and kick out to RJ for a big three. It's straight on with 350 left and a drive all the way to the rim with 140 left. I mean, it's just too few and far between. It's the same deal as Javin slipping on the roll, same thing as Trey getting some action to create for RJ on a catch and shoot three. I mean, Zion's the one who set that high screen for Trey. For Trey. I think that was on the right wing. I mean, it doesn't take much to be able to use this team's talent, even if they're not a good shooting team. So, I mean, again, if anyone's interested, like, I, I numbered Javin, the slip and score on possession 3 and 11. Again, two others at the end of the game. Uh, Zion side screen on the left wing to drive and dunk on possession 13. I mean, just simple, like, it doesn't take much don't always just have to set a high screen for RJ and that's the play unless it's a curl for Cam Reddish. Yeah, I mean, Zion set a high screen for Trey at the right wing to dribble to the free throw line and kick to RJ for a uh, three on um, was possession 17. And so, so we've got two RJ catch and shoot threes based on just something that's not like working magic. It's moving, it's, it's having Zion create on the right side instead of his usual left, and it's uh, giving Trey a high screen. That's all it is. I mean, the, the high screen for Trey, it, it was simple enough where it got, uh, what's his name? It got uh, Henry, it got him leaning. 
and create. That's all. That's all that was necessary. It's it's not scientific. So it's just crazy that that wasn't used. And it's instead, it's just whenever during the season, Coach K said like he would try to run sets. It's just he said it just didn't work. Really. And they went back to kind of just basic motion. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's it's not efficient basketball, but at the same time, Duke had a chance. They had a chance to win, and they got... Tough to argue with RJ getting to the free throw line, having a chance to tie the game and send it into overtime. But the entry passes were just awful. I mean, there, was, there had to have been like 10 turnovers, just on entry passes. And they were just giving away turnovers like candy. I mean, there were... They gave up some early uh, second chance points. I think uh, Michigan State got four rebounds, offensive rebounds, in the first like three and a half minutes. But they tightened that up. wasn't that bad. Um, I mean, Duke scored on 31 of 66 possessions, and 17 of 35 possessions in which they didn't score was because they just straight turned it over. I mean, the mid-range shooting. It was either at the rim or behind the line, and it's not the type of efficient. Uh, ways that uh, the analytics guys would like, but they shot one for ten from mid-range, and I think there was only one other game this season where uh, Duke shot more. They only made one mid-range, and I mean RJ was he was not very efficient. Uh, one for six, Sign and Cam both over two. Uh, Virginia, the first um, game against Virginia, that was when there was that magical mid-range game where. Uh, RJ and Zion both made everything from mid-range, and I was saying, that's an outlier. I was saying at the time, that's an outlier. I think uh, the same thing happened with Florida State. But meanwhile, people are, uh, were coming at me saying, no, it's just the, the media, the haters, they, they, they want to say that Duke can't shoot, and this proves they can. Like, I don't know about that. I mean, you have, like, stats from, like, 20 other games saying no, but I guess if you're that determined to be biased, you will be. Um... I mean, the forced turnover rate, I, I talked about how it's plummeted. The free throw rate. I mean, the free throw rate, I, I, I don't get it. I think with more action created, they could have got, uh, got to the line more. Because the free throw rate was just awful. I mean, most of their lowest free throw rate games were towards the end. The same thing with the forced turnovers, and especially the steal. I mean, if I'm not being clear, the steals... I mean, that's the uh, live ball turnovers, which helps the most, but all turnovers do. Um, but the free throw, they plummeted as well. Uh, seven of the 13 lowest free throw attempt percentage games occurred, occurred in March. They gave up 40% or more offensive rebounds five times in the season. Virginia Tech is just like, wow. Like, Virginia Tech, it's, I mean, they just have Duke's number in terms of Duke can't force them. Duke can't force turnovers on them. They, they can't. Uh, they turn over the ball too much. They give up offensive rebounds. I mean, Kerry Blackshear was a nightmare all in himself. Um, the regular season in close games, we have uh, free throws. I mean, going through those close games, I mean, they always shot more free throws in the second half, or most of the time. Um, and that's that's tough when uh, you're gonna miss that. But uh, let, let's see here. Uh, Florida State. 2 of 4, then 7 of 11. So when you think uh, RJ missed that last one. So they were 7 of 10 in the second half before he missed. Hughes, they're 15 of 19, then 5 of 8. And that was the game where their legs died halfway through the second half. 
and that was not a game where they just chucked because they didn't know what else to do. Their legs were dead. I've gone through all of the uh, context of that a million times. Um, so they were, they shot a lot less free throws in the second half because they weren't attacking, and but they were five of seven before Zion missed uh, that free throw with the chance to win it, possibly win it. UVA seven of nine, then eleven of twenty-two. So the Zion was three of nine in the second half there. Uh, Wake Forest in the second one towards the end of the regular season. They're 8 of 12 and 8 of 14. I remember RJ missed his last five then. Postseason, Q's 5 of 11 and 14 of 17. That was a good one. Um, UNC semifinal of the ACC tournament, 4 of 6 and 3 of 7. That's when RJ missed at the end. So even 3 of 6, that's not a good percentage before. Florida State, uh, 9 of 11 and 8 of 10. That's when um, Trey hit... They basically just gave the ball to him at the end of the game, and, and he seemed trustworthy until Virginia Tech in the NCAA tournament. Uh, North Dakota State, 5 of 6, then 6 of 11. I mean, they blew him out in the second half, so that wasn't a big deal. UCF, 3 of 3, then 4 of 9. Yikes. And uh, Zion missed one there. Uh, Virginia Tech, 2 of 4, then 5 of 6, but the, the one miss, that was big. Michigan State, 3 of 4, then 5 of 9 with... Again, the, the big miss. I'm talking first half to second half. So you can see it wasn't atrocious free throw shooting, most of them. I mean, there was the Virginia one, 11 for 22, but like, it's a lot of clutch misses. And again, these are, these are kids. It's not shocking. I mean, sometimes the brain melts a little bit, especially if you don't have players who've been there. I mean, Javin Delore and Marquise Bolden, and uh, Jack White and all of them, I mean, they can only help so much. They haven't been through it. And again, that's why I say, like, a guy who handles the ball, a guard or wing, that's the one you want. Um, RJ Barrett, he's been habitually more efficient in the second half compared to the first. I mean, that's something you'd really count on, especially with his attacking, and it didn't happen against Michigan State. It wasn't, as, uh, it wasn't the uh, second half RJ come to expect so that was tough because he, he was he turned the ball over too much in the first half but more often than not he made the right play but the second half I mean that's why it, the Cam's invisibility at times was just so noticeable because they didn't have that third score I mean once Louisville really started playing off they showed kind of all the other teams what to do by just ignoring Trey Earlier in the season, I mean, it made it difficult. And it made it so Duke had to create turnovers. Otherwise, half-court offense, sometimes you're going to be playing. I mean, it was just Zion. <laughs> Zion takes on the world, and he did a pretty damn good job of it. So, uh, I mean, when, when you when you look at the way Duke scores, I mean, it's so crazy how it's just like these little glimpses, these little bolts of lightning. Um, I mean, you have, like, 20 minutes to 10.30. So, okay, nine and a half minutes, 11 points. Then five minutes, 19 points. Then five minutes, zero points. Then uh, about seven minutes, 22 points. Eight and a half minutes, nine points. One minute, five points. One minute, 41 seconds, one point. That's the way Duke did it. So kind of, if I add up all that, and I even, I'll add a minute just to avoid anyone thinking I'm rounding with Duke Bias. Uh, 46, they scored 46 points in 14 minutes, and then 31 points in 26 minutes. So, it's just momentum. They, they were so reliant on that momentum. 
And one thing I am adding uh, after the initial recording is, I don't think I mentioned how Zion not being able to be as aggressive as I'm sure he wanted to be and as many wish he would have been at the end of the first half. When Duke got, when Duke gets the momentum, they usually really kind of stomp on that opponent. And when they went up 30 to 21, I think that's when Zion picked up his second and both of his first half fouls were really unnecessary. I know the first one was off ball, had nothing to do with the play. The second, I think it was kind of ticky tack as well. So with Zion not being able to be aggressive, and I think he was on the bench during Michigan State, the first part of their run, at a time when Duke really, really could have uh, kind of dug their heels in and really put some distance between them and Michigan State, turned 30 to 21 into uh, a bigger margin. Um, that's when Michigan State went on their run. And Duke found themselves down at the half. When it really looked like Duke was, Duke had that control with 30 to 21, but when you don't have an aggressive Zion, you really don't have an aggressive Duke. That momentum was just destroyed every time they would turn it over. Because usually Duke could ride that momentum, but the turnovers, that was just so crazy to see. But it's also, I mean, Michigan State was rotating back so well that was, I mean, that made the difference. I mean, they, they Duke could not run. The, the amount of times Duke tried to run in the first half on different possessions, and they were just unable to. So it forced Duke to run half-court offense, and then you saw them exposed. I mean, if you can't even throw entry passes, I mean, if, if Zion, if he's getting triple-teamed in the post or whatever, get him get him outside. And he can, he can do everything. He's proven that. Don't, like, don't keep trying and keep trying to force it in there. I mean, earlier in the season, he was still kind of improving, but learning at the same time. I still, it's tough to just give him the ball every time and say, hey, go make a play. Eventually, I do think he can possibly get to that point, but just a little high screen, a little something. I mean, he will create something good. Uh, let me see. Um, yeah, here we go. The last possession, like, why would you play Zion on the left wing on the initial Barrett attempt? And again, on the ensuing play from the from the blob baseline out of bounds. I mean, you know Michigan State will overplay him to the left. So it basically takes him completely out of the action besides on a potential offensive rebound. And it lets Michigan State know the goal is to plant Barrett on the right wing and to try to get him downhill with the same damn jab and high screen, switching Goins on to RJ, which... To be honest, it hasn't worked as well as you would think. Keep going back to the, when they keep going back to that well on repeat. It's it, it just I don't understand that. And I mean, great defense by Michigan State on the ensuing inbounds, though. I mean, that would look like the same reddish type of play against Florida State. Uh, and O'Connell, if you actually look at him leaning before, I mean, it's he blatantly was giving it away. I mean, maybe it's just they didn't care if he was giving it away, but that was rough. And, uh, but again, Zion's on the left wing, out of the picture, away from the blob. So, I don't know. I mean, my opinion on the Duke possession with a minute left, that's different. Zion can't give the ball up to RJ the way he did. At that point in time, there's 10 seconds on the shot clock. Duke's half-court offense is basically just the other three guys standing and watching. 
And Barrett hasn't been able to beat Goins off the dribble. Zion, that's on Zion. But at the same time, is, is that what he's supposed to do? Is that what he's directed to do? Because I think sometimes, I mean, if people think of like RJ as selfish. He's playing his role. If his role is to score, and I, I don't know, I mean, he, he really improved as a playmaker throughout the season. But he's doing what Coach K wants him to do, so to not do that? Is that, is that what you want? You want him to ignore Coach K? So I don't know. If JJ Redick was at Duke now, in the social media age, how would he be viewed in the NCAA tournament if people only think a player is as good as what they do in the postseason? If the team is only as good as the result, I mean, do you know what JJ's uh, stats are in six career games past the second round? It's 24 of uh, 87. 16 for 64 from three. 12.3 points a game. And not that he was lights out in the three 2004 games past the second round, or uh, two, two 2004 games past the second round when they got to the Final Four. But if you eliminate those and just take the, the 316 the games in the other years, three Sweet 16 games when Duke lost, when he was a, uh, a freshman, a junior, and a senior, he was 9 of 48 shooting, 18.8%. He shot 2 of 19 from 2 and 7 of 29 from 3. And he averaged less than 10 again, 9.6. I mean, do you think less of JJ because of that? I mean, it happens. Like, that's his role. He wasn't on, but he carried Duke all year. So it's not like, what are you going to say? I mean, he was playing his role. His role is not all of a sudden just decide, I'm not shooting anymore. Jason Williams. Remember him? He, uh, I'm sorry, Jay Williams. I mean, his stats were god-awful. God awful. I mean, I'm, I'm looking here in this freshman his freshman season when he was allowed to do whatever. His uh, second round against Kansas, his Sweet 16 against Florida. Good God. I mean, terrible. I mean, you look at uh, second round and Sweet 16 against uh, Indiana in, in his junior season. He was the all everything. Terrible. And I mean UCLA, he was unbelievable. But looking past the uh, past that in 2001, I mean there was, I mean he was he was a turnover machine. I mean the turnovers to assists. I mean there's more turnovers than assists. So I mean, but again they won, but not against Indiana. I mean, does that make does that make you think less of him? They were six of 19 in that game. And he had four assists, four turnovers. I don't know, should it? I don't think so. I mean, he, he did what he could, but I think that's the problem with just saying, R.J. Barrett's selfish. R.J. Barrett didn't want to win, He'd look, and then you name someone else who would never be like that. You know what? Just because social media wasn't there at that time, you, n you never know. You never know. So, I mean, everyone goes through struggles at some point. But I remember Redick was just, I mean, he was terrible in uh, many of the, uh, 
in the NCAA tournament games, especially once it got past the second round. Hey, he's my favorite Duke of all time. You don't have to be biased. There's no law. You can actually see things as they are, and hey, he contributed uh, in other ways besides scoring. But they needed him to score. He couldn't. He couldn't knock down shots. So that's the main reason. That's a major reason why they lost. Um, Sheldon Williams wasn't great either. Doesn't mean I'm ripping him. It's just kind of as as it is. I mean. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting to think about. They didn't get the ball designed enough da down uh, down the stretch when he was dominating. I mean, they got plenty. He got plenty of shots. But in terms of putting him in the right spots to just... I mean, when he was dominating, and then... I don't know. It does make me wonder about that play with, uh, with a minute left where he handed to RJ. And he could have... To try to do something, I think that might be a little bit of too unselfish. All right, talking about the bench use, I don't think that's a big deal. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you could say O'Connell could have gotten time, could have possibly hit some shots. O'Connell was in there for a couple minutes, and like the first defensive play, he got beat down in transition and then took the wrong side of the screen, so that was not great. Um, and then later on, he was in for like a minute, and uh, Cassius Winston scored on him. So, I mean, he's just unreliable on defense right now. Hopefully, he can really bulk up, and uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm hoping for the best for him. But you know what? You know a name I haven't really heard? That who knows what would have happened if he had been there? Is um, Jordan Tucker. Jordan Tucker, he can shoot the hell out of the ball. He's not a great defender. He's, he's improving. I mean, he's still not totally reliable, but I think his skill level, he would have got minutes. And I'm not saying he should have stayed. I support whatever he used his idea. Like, I'm not I'm not in the judging business. But he could have, he would have gotten minutes. And I think that Jack White, when it really comes down to it, Jack White post-Syracuse I think that's when um, that really hurt Duke not being able to have him. He was so important, and he was such a big piece for Duke. And I, I call him up until that Syracuse. I, I said he was really irreplaceable. Wow, and uh, it's unfortunate. He really was was great for Duke. I mean, going back to Texas Tech, he was as big, if not the biggest, reason. Duke beat Texas Tech that day, which is saying a lot. I mean, especially when those freshmen were still kind of learning. Alright, so uh, I, I think we've pretty much gone over everything. In terms of the overall team and season, I recorded a long, deep dive with uh, Brent Wilkerson New of the Greensboro News and Record, and that will be on. Um, so I didn't want to get too deep into... Uh, kind of just the overall state of Duke, but let's see, I, I will still say, I will say one more thing. I'm trying to figure out how there's guys who, I mean, especially like a guy like RJ Barrett, who his uh, godfather is Steve Nash, and 
I'm working on basketball all the time. How do you not have a right? And I'm, I'm, I'm asking that ignorantly. I, I don't know. Obviously, it's not easy to develop a right, but I think, like, maybe you can get away with it in high school and younger, but once you start getting up to, to a higher level, I mean, it's amazing how successful what RJ was in getting to his left every time. But if he was able to, to finish with a right, everything would have changed. Zion could occasionally finish with his right. Trey's actually, despite his shooting um, woes, which uh, I think Virginia Tech, we saw that was kind of an outlier. It's impossible to change your shooting in one game. I think it's just credit to him for the balance and uh, the release he worked on before that Virginia Tech game. It was really successful, and hopefully that can carry over if he keeps working on it to become a habit uh, coming into next year. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, I think that Virginia Tech game was a bit of an outlier for now. Um... But yeah, I mean, I mean, just oh, but, but I was gonna say, uh, Trey, he's able to finish with both hands, not fantastically, but I mean, Tyus at that point at Duke, he couldn't do it. He couldn't finish with his left. So it's interesting how some guys they can, but most can't. No matter how talented they are, and that's what made like I remember an interview with Kyrie Irving, and he was saying how we would just spend hours working on spins off the backboard with both hands like hours and hours and hours <laughs> you see like Kyrie he's he's in another world of being able to I mean he might be the best I've ever seen at finish with, finishing with either hand it's insane um let's see anything else um I mean as I, as I said there, there were some Duke did play really good half court defense even without being able to force turnovers but there are still, there are still uh, some poor possessions, like Trey, poor attempt to sell a foul with 11.15 left, and he was out of position to get back to Winston after an offensive rebound. Nick Wood blew like two, two or three really easy shots. Tillman missed a bunny with 7.50 left. Though, uh, Zion's presence likely affected that shot. Ward missed a running hook with 7.05 left. Uh, McQuaid, it was an atrocious PNR pass. The rolling uh, Tillman with 6.10 left. He fired it at him like way off target. Um, Cassius Winston's bucket against Trey at 4.30 left was very interesting. I don't know about that. Um, I would say it's unfortunate in terms of uh, the last defensive play. Um, where, where do I have it? In, in terms of, it's just with communication really, really successful um, most of the season. It was unfortunate when, uh, when basically Trey didn't switch. They sw if they're supposed to switch everything. When, um, when Cassius Winston dove into the lane and Zion, he waved his hand like he was going to take him. And Trey followed, and that left Kenny Goins wide open for a three. So, with, I mean, Duke has been able to be talented enough and athletic enough to get away with that kind of stuff, but I don't know. I'm not placing the blame on Trey or Zion. I, I think that they, I mean, they're supposed to switch everything. That would, would sum up that, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that, that, again, unfortunate. Kenny Goins, fifth-year senior. You gotta, you gotta be happy for him at least as much as you can be. Um, 
lastly, I, uh, well, no, I, I do want to credit Javon Deloria, uh, by far the most improvement of any Duke player. I mean, starting when Zion um, was unfortunately he blew through a shoe <laughs> against North Carolina, I mean, Javon really stepped up. Javon was unbelievable. He still fouls a little too much, but I mean, that's that's nitpicking at this point in time. He was fantastic. Defense, offense, I mean, his hands were fantastic. I mean, able to get those, uh, the, the, those uh, some, some of the passes to him were tough, especially like Cam Reddish threw a ridiculously tough pass from close range at, at, towards the end that Javin scooped up and uh, finished, finished at, at the basket. I mean, Javin... Got some Emil. He's got some Emil Jefferson in him. And, that, man, I'm really excited to see. I mean, people do not like him, and I don't get it. And, like, even those who are willing to give him credit, they'll always say, like, yeah, he, he's improved. And then they'll, like, say, like, 25 things he doesn't do well just to make it clear that, like, they still think there's too much wrong with him, even though he's he was great. He was great. There's nothing more to say about him. I mean, everyone has... Uh, strengths and weaknesses. He was great, and hopefully he can keep that going for next year. With in terms of, I was going to mention about recruiting. Coach K is going to possibly change. But I mentioned that on the uh, Duke deep dive, so I don't want to. I don't want to uh, kind of get too far into that. I think I've mentioned pretty much everything in terms of the down stretch plays. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've mentioned there all the all of Duke's last plays, and when, when RJ, I mean, getting fouled, I mean, it's tough to ask for a better opportunity, even though it wasn't set up the way I would like. Who the hell am I? I mean, it's just my opinion, which means as much as you are willing to give it, possibly credit, possibly not. I, uh, it's just what I see based on watching way too much Duke basketball, probably more than anyone. And I just felt there was ways to use different players to their ability the same way I said at the beginning of the year, to the best of their ability and the best of their ability to help the team. And I don't think that was fluid enough. I think there was occasional glimpses of that, but what you saw with with Javin slipping the screens, with, um, with, with Zion just starting, I mean, again, these are not like scientific kind of big changes. Just like his starting Zion on the, on the uh, right side more. Everything was really based on the fact that you had to have known by the NCAA tournament, Duke was not going to somehow magically gonna be able to start just hitting perimeter shots. If they did, then hey, congratulations, you basically won the NCAA tournament already. But they were who they were at that point. Cam Reddish, you couldn't just kind of cross your fingers and say, oh, if he can get high. Yeah, he was my X factor throughout the season. But, I mean, it was it was facing reality by the time they were at the tournament. You can't still be thinking, if this can happen, then, hey, great. Well, then everything will come together. You have to have that plan B. You have to know Duke is not going to be able to rely on perimeter shooting. If they had any, obviously everything could have changed. Duke would have been a, a much different team, possibly dominant, probably dominant. They weren't. So there, ha- there should have been a plan B, and by plan B, just little maneuvers, little adjustments, little schemes adjustments, and it's not asking for too much. 
I mean, Jesus, just, just some more advanced cutting action, screening action. It's just a pin down and a curl. You can do more than that. And the curl was really only for camp. I mean, so basically it's just pin downs. And it doesn't make sense. Give Trey action. Otherwise, he, what is he doing there on offense? I mean, have him screen. Do something. So, he's talented. And you're wasting that talent. And him coming back as I go in depth on with the uh, Duke deep dive hopefully next year we'll see a very different tray not because it's a different tray but because he's being used much better I think too much was out of his hands all right so that's basically that sums up all I got on uh Duke Michigan State and obviously is more than just Duke Michigan State it was my thoughts on kind of what I saw in that game and how it expanded to the rest of their season how we saw it all trending in a certain direction and with the free throws I mean you, you just you just have to trust guys I, I mean it's tough you can shoot a million free throws in the gym I mean I heard Dwight Howard and Shaquille O'Neal they were like 80% free throw shooters in the gym, but you can't you can't replicate uh, free throws down the stretch. I mean, hopefully they'll learn from uh, struggles this season. But yeah, I don't I don't really know what to do about that. I mean, how, what are you gonna say? Don't give it to my best players. I mean, these are these are wings. These are guards. These are not. This is not like a uh, there there was no there was not gonna be any Hakazai or Hakarja. We're not going to take him out for, like, O'Connell. Um, so, yeah, I mean, free throws, I don't know. I don't know. I can't give a good, a good reason for turnovers, why they weren't able to force turnovers towards the end. Like I said, they might have... It might just be they were playing some great point guards towards the end of the season, although that doesn't explain why, pretty much since Louisville, they haven't been able to turn teams over. So that's 14 games. Um, so it wasn't just recently wasn't just without Zion. It wasn't just with Zion. And it was, they had, they had the chemistry, so, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to take as many risks, but you had to take the risks with this team. That was where their strength was. So if you're not taking risks, that's a risk in itself. Alright, so, I mean, this, I, I know some people won't want to listen back and hear about a game that Duke lost to end their season. Especially a game uh, lost by a team which many think are is the most talented ever. I don't. I think they had two of the most talented players. I predicted before I really watched um, too much. I mean, before I even um, saw. I mean, after Canada, when I did my season preview, it was after seeing RJ and Zion in Canada. So I was very impressed with them. But I still said Sweet 16 just because I'd have I'd have to see. It reminded me of too much of 2015-16, and I and even though I felt the communication and the versatility with the defense could provide a higher ceiling in the tournament, which it absolutely did. I mean, the defense is what kept them in with, with some bad offense, which is usually the opposite of of Duke. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, Cam, Cam Reddish was the X-Factor. 
and unfortunately, love the dude. He wasn't able to have the type of season I'm sure he really hoped for, and that's unfortunate because uh, seems like a good kid, really talented, hoping for the best uh, for his NBA career. Same thing with the other guys, most of all Mike Buckmeyer. I'm still waiting for the official word on whether Mike Buckmeyer will stay. I am. I, I'm hoping. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. So, um, if anyone. Uh, Again, is interested in being a co-host, email dukebasketballcorner at gmail.com, dukebasketballcorner at gmail.com. If you know anyone who might be interested, tell them about it. Uh, subscribe, rate, review. I mean, uh, this is kind of just free flow, uh, uh, this, this pod episode. It wasn't as much really structured. It's just me thinking through that Michigan State game because I've seen it a bunch of times. Again, if anyone wants play-by-play breakdowns, I could do that. Probably not the whole game. Like maybe if you want like last 10 minutes or something or even the first 10 minutes. Um, let me know. Again, email, Twitter, hit me up. But uh, yeah, I think the overall thoughts will do it for now. And uh, that's all I got. So unfortunately... Duke loses in the Elite Eight, and uh, I'm sure the hot takes have been flying, so here is my non-hot take, my lukewarm actual analysis of what I saw, which may or may not uh, correlate with what uh, others saw, but my eyes have burned through the film enough where I am pretty confident in what I believe could have happened and what I believe was the potential of this Duke team and it is unfortunate that uh, that potential was never realized. It was there. It was absolutely there. Till next time, I'm Adam Comro for Duke Basketball Corner. I will be talking to you guys soon.